First Thessalonians chapter two, verse number one. The Bible says, For yourselves, brethren, know our entrance in unto you that it was not in vain. Uh, but even af after that we had suffered before and were shamefully entreated, as you know, at Philippi, we were bold in our God to speak unto you the gospel of God with much contention. For our exhortation was not of deceit, nor of uncleanness, nor in guile, but as we were allowed of God to be put in trust with the gospel, even so we speak, not as pleasing men, but God, which trieth our hearts. For neither at any time used we flattering words, as you know, nor a cloak of covetousness, God is witness. Nor of men sought we glory, neither of you, nor yet of others, when we might have been burdensome as the apostles of Christ. But we were gentle among you, even as a nurse cherisheth her children. So being affectionately desirous of you, verse 8 says, you were willing, we were willing to have imparted unto you, not the gospel of God only, but also our own souls, because you were dear unto us. For ye remember, brethren, our, our, our labor and travail, for laboring not in day, because we would not be chargeable unto you, unto any of you, we preached unto you the gospel of God. Ye are witnesses, and God also, how holily and justly and unblameably we have behaved ourselves among you that believe. As you know, how we exhorted and comforted and charged one of you as a father, every one of you as a father doth his children, that ye walk worthy of God, who hath called you unto, this, unto his kingdom and glory. We'll pause right there and go to the Lord in prayer. Heavenly Father, we thank you so much, Lord, for who you are. We thank you for the reading of your word. We ask you to bless the reading of your word. Use it in a way, Lord, that brings you honor, brings you glory, and brings us closer to you. And Lord, I pray, Lord, that uh, we can just ignore all, the, all the, 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 the cars driving by, Lord, the agendas we have for tomorrow, Lord, the, the rough mornings maybe that we had. Uh, Lord, I pray, Lord, that we can just put all those things out and focus on you this morning and focus on what you have for us this morning. And Lord, and we thank you as we worship you and we love you in Jesus' name. Amen. All right. So, again, good morning. And uh, I hope that, again, that this has been a blessing to you. I've kind of entitled this message here tonight, uh, this morning, I'm a mess today, uh, but traits that change nations, traits that change nations. In many ways, uh, this Macedonian church, these, these folks here in this first century church, they are an example of what a church should look like. Uh, they're in the first century and also in our century. They are what a church should be patterned after. But as verse 9 of chapter 1 states, if you look at that real quick, it says, For they themselves show us what manner of entering in we had unto you, and how you turn to God from idols to serve the living and true God. Uh, they were a group, before they were believers, they were a group of idol worshipers. And then they heard the, the gospel message from Paul's, Paul and his, uh, and his uh, two fellows there. And I think sometimes we miss that. I think I miss that sometimes. We miss the power found in the preaching of the Word of God. As we'll read through chapter 2, we've already read a little bit about it. But Paul went to Thessalonians there, to the Thessalonians, not with eloquence of speech. He didn't try to flatter them, but he went in the power of the Word of God. And I think, again, we miss the power found in preaching the Word of God in that it can reach the toughest of souls, idol worshippers. They've never heard of the gospel. They didn't have the underrooting like we have here in Germany and in, in, in America. We have that, that maybe that glimmer of, of some kind of a Christ, Christian government or a Christian culture. You know, some of the things we have in our culture, the rights and the wrongs, marriage and, and giving and all those things are rooted in Christianity. They didn't have any of these things. They were idol worshipers. 
But the gospel, the preaching of the gospel changed their hearts. So we have a gospel message that God, through people, can change nations. Can change nations. You know, from the Welch revival to the great awakenings there in America, God has used and he continues to use surrendered men and women to spark great shifts in cultures. And one of those is recorded right here in our text. Look at verses 8 and 9 of chapter 1 again. 1 Thessalonians chapter 8 says, For from you, this is the church there at Thessalonica, for from you sounded out the word of the Lord, not only in Macedonia and Achaia, but also in every place your faith to God were to spread abroad, so that we need not to speak anything. For they themselves show of us what manner of entering in we had unto you, and how ye turn to God from idols to serve the living and true God. And verse 7 of that same chapter says, They were examples to all that believed, and Macedonia and Achaia. Now, friends, that's a large area. That is a large area. That's, that's an area about 50,000 square miles with a lot of folks. And, Brother Terry, that's about the size of Mississippi. That's a large area. If you were to look at this map here, you'll see Macedonia and Achaia. Now, you'll see Italy off to the right there and modern-day Turkey off to the... Uh, Italy to the left there, modern Turkey off to the right. And you see Macedonia and Achaia there. That's pretty much modern-day Greece. So this is... The revival area that Paul brought in. You see Thessalonica up there. We have Corinth down here in Athens and all those things. There's churches at all those places there. But this church here in Thessalonica, the Bible says here that they told all of that region, all of Macedonia and Achaia had heard of the Christians at Thessalonica. Now that's, that's a big deal. That's huge. That's, that's a long way from us if we were to take that and superimpose it upon our ministry. It's pretty much modern-day Greece they reached, and that's amazing. Granted, not every soul was saved during Paul's missionary journeys, and there is much to be said about the type of soil that is planted, the gospel seed is planted in, but it is clear that these Macedonian Christians, they didn't live in an inward bubble. They didn't live in a bubble. They didn't keep their head in the sand. They were out and about. They They were adventurous. They wanted to tell the world about the Lord Jesus Christ. And again, about that soil, we've all witnessed plants grow through concrete. Y'all seen that, right? You see how the, the power of the, of the water goes through there. You know, on the Big Island of Hawaii, we lived there. Uh, the Lord allowed us to live there for almost six years. And if you go to the Big Island, it's the largest island there. It's actually called Hawaii. And everything else is different names, Lanai and Maui and all those things. But there's lava everywhere. You can just drive on the streets uh, adjacent to the lava along the outskirts of it. And you can see trees growing up through the lava. Somehow it just, I'm always amazed how that just comes through. It's just amazing. And there's no doubt in my mind that these Thessalonians were hardened, lava hardened, if you will, idol worshipers. But Paul just kept right on going. Timothy and Silas, they kept right on going, putting much work into their conversion. They doused them, if you will, with the water of the word. Over and over and over and over. They didn't give up. They kept right on going. And, and all of us have those stubborn family members that we don't think will ever get saved. I have my mother-in-law like that and many others. And I know I'm not the only one here. Just keep going. Keep dousing them with the water of the word. Paul had that here. They were idol worshipers. It can be done. It can be done. And this, this church here, over time, because of Paul's Commitment and his, and his not wavering just kept on going. And Silas and, and Timothy, over time, they were saved. And then they were started uh, doing their own mentorship. They started, own, they started their own walking in the Word. And now they're an example. They, they came a long way from 
get that now. They were idol worshipers on one side, and now they're examples to Christians to follow. Now, we'll come back to Paul's work ethic here in a moment. But my opening point is this. The Thessalonian church was a model church, like we talked about last week. They were a Macedonian model because they followed model Christians. Because they followed model Christians. They followed Christians who possessed God-given attributes that changed the area the size of Greece. Three men that changed the area the size of Greece. They had traits that changed nations. And we're going to look at some of these traits. There's many, there's many traits that we need. Of course, the largest trait is having that possession of the Lord Jesus Christ. And we'll talk about those things here. But look at verse 6 of 1 Thessalonians chapter 1 again. Verse 6 says, And ye became followers of us. Now, of the Lord, of course, but it started with them. Followers of us. And then at verse 8, the latter part of verse 8, And in every place your faith to Godward is abroad. And as we closed last week's message, we highlighted the fact that Paul knew that these Macedonian Christians were genuine Christians. Why? Because they were doing for others with a passion what he did for them. They were evidence of Paul's conversion and those on the outskirts of the church that they heard all what the Macedonians said about the gospel message. They were evidence of the, of the Christians there in Thessalonica that they were genuine not only did they understand what Paul and the others taught them, they caught what they taught. And many times as, you, as you're in, if you're a teacher, if you ever taught anything, it's, it's better even as a parent that the person you're trying to convey some information, some lifestyle, some worldviews is better caught than taught. We can teach all day long some words, but when they see us living out what we are teaching, they start to catch and they believe in what we were telling them. So not only did they understand what Paul and the others taught them, they caught it. Think of it this way. Paul was, was kind of like a parent teaching his children how to walk. And when he sent Timothy to go check on them later on, as we, we read in the latter part of, of chapter 2, to check on them, they were still walking. They were still walking. And you could even say they were picking up a light jog. He was, he was pleased with the, with the report that Timothy uh, brought back to him about the Christians there that he led to the Lord. Now imagine Paul's dismay upon Timothy's report if they went back to their old ways after his departure. Imagine that, that they, they would know how to walk, but they resorted to crawling. I mean, fortunately, that, that wasn't the case. Can you imagine that? You teach a little child how to walk, and he's got it. And you can see that he's got it because he's walking on his own. And then as they get older, you know, they have children, they're teaching somebody else, you know, they really got it then. But could you imagine a child that knew how to walk, just deciding to crawl his whole life, eight years, nine years? It's ridiculous, right? And that's what Christians, many of us do. We have the ability to walk because God's given us even to run, but we choose just to crawl in Christ instead of walk in Christ. And uh, there's a message that's coming in a, in, a new, uh, in, a, in a few weeks here about how we can walk in Christ patterned after some of Paul's writings here in Thessalonians. But fortunately for us and for them and for Paul, this was not the case for these Thessalonians. They really got a hold of what true Christianity was, what true Christianity is. Their relationship with Christ was the real deal. They truly caught what was taught. But let me ask you this, what, what did they catch? What attributes did Paul really bring to Macedonia? What specific examples did Paul and Savannah and, and Timotheus, Paul, Silas, and, and Timothy, what did, they, what did they really set 
What, what example did they bring? I submit to you this morning that they brought God-given attributes uh, to Macedonia. They brought traits that can change a nation. Look at uh, verse number 1 of chapter 2 again. It says, For yourselves, brethren, know our entrance in unto you, that it was not in vain. But even after that we had suffered before and were shamefully entreated, as you know, at Philippi, we were bold in our God to speak unto you the gospel of God with much contention. For our exhortation was not of deceit, nor of uncleanness, nor in God, but as we were allowed of God to be put in trust with the gospel, even so we speak, not as pleasing men, but God, which trieth our hearts. Verse 5 talks about how they were a little bit more genuine. This morning, I'm going to list up here some traits that change nations. Number one, genuine Christianity. Genuine Christianity. You know, if there's ever a time in my lifetime, well, we've always needed it, but we need genuine Christians today. We need people who mean what they say and say what they mean and believe and behave how they believe. These Thessalonians were genuine Christians because Paul, Timothy, and Silas were the real deal. They were genuine. You know, and the first thing they caught, I think, was the importance of a new birth in the family of Almighty God. Paul wrote in verse 1 of chapter 2 that their interest was not in vain. I mean, think about that. You go out and, and you tell somebody about the Lord Jesus Christ, or you, you raise your children up the best way you know how, and then in either scenario, they go different ways, and you feel like your whole life has been in vain. Well, Paul is writing here, and he's getting the report back from Timothy. He's like, my work is not in vain. They're getting it. They're, they're stepping out. They believe. this is. They got it. It's real. Remember, they received the word and they followed the Lord. We talked about that last week. They, they turned from idols to serve the living and true God. That's, that's big stuff. And even today, regardless of how entrenched we are in the wickedness or the worship of materialism we see in this world or the modern day idols we see in this world of sports, celebrities, musicians, and you can go on down the list, like these Macedonians, our communities, our countries, our nations can also turn from those things and serve the living God. It just takes a lot of watering and it takes a lot of word and it takes a lot of work and labor and preaching. No, we cannot give up. Listen, if you're not saved this morning, this morning, if you have not been born again, if you have not accepted the forgiveness provided by Christ and his cross, it can still happen today, even today. The Bible says in Romans 10, 9, If thou shalt confess with thy mouth the Lord Jesus and believe in thine heart that God hath raised him from the dead, thou shalt be saved. And a few verses later, For whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. Friends, that's all of us. Anybody can call upon the name of the Lord. In a time that we want to argue about skin color and cultures and all this thing, Jesus says, Call unto me and I will save you. It doesn't matter all those things. All of us are equal at the foot of the cross. Call on him today. And catch the same thing this Thessalonian church did. How they caught it from Paul's preaching of the gospel and his, and his genuineness. Be a genuine Christian today. But the faith of Paul, of Silas, I almost want to call him Timmy because I've been studying him for a long time. But they not only had a saving faith, they had a serving faith. They had a serving faith. Their faith was evident. It was genuine. For first they had... They were genuine before God. They were genuine before God. Look at verse number 4 of chapter 2 again. It says, But as we were allowed of God to be put in trust with the gospel, even so we speak, not as pleasing men, 
but God, which trieth our hearts. Like any earthly commander, we have the military, we have many people serving here. Uh, you always have su su superiors and subordinates. But like any earthly commander, Jesus trusts his subordinates with certain missions. And he trusted Paul to take the gospel to Macedonia. Picture for a moment uh, the gospel message as a, as a key hidden in our heart, only visible to God. Salvation being a prerequisite to even possess that key or being a stewardship of that key. Now, God knows who belongs to him. And he also knows what he can trust with us to do with that key. And then look again at verse number four. He says, we were allowed of God to be put in trust with the gospel. We were allowed of God. Think about that. We were allowed of God to be put in trust with the gospel. Now, I believe God has entrusted each of us, each believer, with some measure of evangelism. The question is, what has he entrusted to you? What are you allowed of God to do? Has he laid something on your heart? God allowed you to do something, something great for him. And are you following through? Personally, I've come to this conclusion. God has entrusted more to us than we deserve. And we generally do less of what we're allowed of God to do. And while Paul, Silas and Timothy were certainly not perfect, they had their faults, but they were real. They were genuine. My brother preaches a message out in, out in Wyoming. I think he actually preached this here. But the world needs today genuine Christianity. They see through all the smoke and the mirrors. They see through all the fake entertainment. They see through all that stuff. The world is tired of all the gimmicks. They want genuine, authentic Christianity. And by the way, that's the only thing that saves. Right to the heart of what we need. They were genuine. They were genuine before God, but then notice also they were genuine before others, before men. Look at uh, verse 4 again. But as we're allowed of God to be put in trust with the gospel, even so we speak, not as pleasing men, but God, which trieth our hearts. For neither at any time use we flattering words, as you know, nor of a cloak of covetousness. God is witness. So they're there, and they're genuine to God first. But even with the pressures of all those idol worshipers around them, they're still true to what God has called them to do. They're still genuine amidst all the pressures of life. How many times as we as Christians, we're out there, we start off our day, we start off our year, whatever it may be. We're in some certain circumstance. We're genuine Christians until the pressures come. And now we kind of lose some of our authenticity. We fall. We fall by the wayside. But these, these three men live their lives to please God. They didn't seek the glory of men. They didn't seek even the glory of the men they were trying to reach. They sought the glory of God. They were the real deal. And while the world has always had a need again for genuine Christians, we certainly need them today. We need authentic, God-fearing, Bible-believing, saved, born-again believers in this world today. We need some folks, again, who will not only say what they mean and mean what they say, but behave how they believe. But behave how they believe. Verse 5, it says, For neither at any time, this is Paul writing again about him and uh, Silas and, and Timothy, For neither at any time used we flattering words, as you know, nor cloak of covetousness. God is our witness. They didn't preach to them things they wanted to hear. I think that's important for us to understand. They didn't preach to them what they wanted to hear. You know, many times you go to, maybe I'll just use my experience as a, as a I wasn't an army recruiter, um, nor would I want to be an army recruiter. 
But I've went to those offices and they always tell you somehow you never walk away angry from a, from a, from a, from a military recruiter, right? Because they're going to tell you, I'm not saying they're going to lie to you, but they might hold back some of the nasty things about the military. They're going to tell you everything that you want to hear. That's not what God, God's not called us to be military recruiters. He's called us to be preachers, evangelists. And Paul here, when he went into Macedonia, he didn't hold back the difficult things. He let them all have it. He was genuine. He was genuine. He preached to them things that they needed to hear. They gave them the unadulterated truth of the gospel message. And I got to tell you, it's offensive. When you're going into a place that all they do is serve as idols and you go in there and tell them, hey, you are all wrong. This is the right way. That's got to be offensive. Right. How can it not be offensive? But they were genuine to it because that's what they needed to hear. We don't like to be told that what we're doing is wrong. Can you imagine? I mean, we don't get the idea that all this uh, this church here at Thessalonica, they weren't all teenagers. There had to be some 20, some 30 year olds and 40 year olds and 50 year olds and 60 year olds, 70 year olds. Could you imagine what for 50 years I've been doing the wrong thing? Are you kidding me? Right. I mean, I don't think they all just said, oh, it's a great idea. Let's follow this guy. I don't think it happened like that at all. But Paul was genuine. He was genuine. And and this as a child of God. Let's see here. But Paul and others didn't hold back. They they told him like it was. And again, think about this. We will all stand as Christians before a holy God one day. And there's only one way we're going to make it through that meeting. Number one, we need to be a child of God. There is no other way. Only through Christ can we be saved. But we want to, we want to be there knowing that we gave our all down here. I'm telling you, when we get to the foot of the cross or at the foot of the throne of God, when we're in heaven, when everything's all said and done, we are going to regret some things. We're going to regret a lot of things. Let's keep that to a minimum, the best that we can, and let God show us the grace that he loves to show us. Let go of the things that are not necessary. You know, think about this message that Paul brought into Macedonia. It was a radical message, a radical message. And it is as radical a message to the Macedonians in the first century as it is for us in the 21st century. People must turn from their idols and serve the living God. You're not doing it right. This is how you do it right. That's that's bold and radical. You see, whether they knew it or not, they needed this bold message. And whether today's world needs it or not, they need to hear the gospel message. It's more important than our relationship. It's more important than our reputation. It's more important than even our finances. They need to hear the gospel message. Will we, like Paul, like Timothy and Silas, be genuine enough in our faith? Will we be authentic enough to share what God's given us? To live out that genuine faith as a, as a Christian. But notice that not only were Paul and his entourage there, were they genuine Christians. I think I kind of like this. It's not a real long point, but it's right here in the middle. They were also gentle Christians. Look at verses 6 and 7 again. It says, Nor of men sought we glory, neither of you, nor yet of others, when we might have been burdensome as the apostles of Christ, but we were gentle among you, even as a nurse cherisheth, cherisheth her children. They were as gentle as a nurse with her children. They were affable. They were good natured, Paul and, and Silas and Timothy. They were easy to talk. You ever been, now this is, maybe I shouldn't even say this, but ever been, and I use a military term, I was going to think about churches, but you ever been in a military organization where your boss, he just, you just can't go talk to him. 
or in any, in any situation, whether you're working at in a Home Depot or McDonald's or the, the Dodds or whatever it may be, or even at Continental, you have that, that boss that every time I go talk to him, it's just so abrasive, right? We've all been, we've all had those bosses. Hopefully we've not been one of those bosses, and if you have, God's forgiven you. But this was not Paul, Silas, and Timothy. They were easy to talk to. They, they would come to them. Imagine Christ. Could you imagine Jesus sitting on the shore there and people, Paul and, you know, not Paul, but one of the disciples there, um, you know, J James and John coming up to them. I mean, think about some of the things that came out of the mouths of James and John. I mean, it's pretty ridiculous. But Jesus just said, no, that's, that's not the way it's going to be. You know, no, we're not calling down lightning from heaven to destroy these people, James and John. We're not doing all that. He could have just went off on some tangent, but he didn't. He just let them come, come to a conclusion on their own. He kind of led them. And Paul and, and Timothy and Silas, they're, they're very affable. They're following that. They were mild-mannered and gentle. They didn't, they didn't go from house to house browbeating those idol worshipers. You need to turn from God or else, or turn from those idols and turn to God or else. They didn't do that. They were mild. When I was in the army, I had, in my, in my youth, I had a nickname called Wild Bill. That was my call sign on the radio. But by the time I was in E6 or E7, the people in my unit changed it to Mild Bill. At first, I was offensive. I'm like, Mild Bill? I'm, a, I'm an infantryman. I'm a soldier. I'm a fighter. I can't go out there, Mild Bill. But then I started realizing, you know what? It should be mild. I shouldn't be abrasive. I should be able to lead without using swear words and raising, swear words and raising my voice and all these things like that. That's true leadership. The other one is a front for false leadership. These, these gentlemen here, Paul, Silas, and Timothy, they were meek. And just because they were meek, it didn't mean they were weak. They were bold for Christ, but not belligerent. They loved the Lord, and that proved their sincerity. Notice also the last half of that, of verse 2. It says, We were bold in our God to speak unto you the gospel of God with much contention. Now, this doesn't mean that they preached with contention, but rather that there was much contention because of their preaching. I mean, they're preaching to idol worshipers, right? So, of course, you can probably cut it, the friction, you know, with a butter knife or however you want to say that. And you can probably imagine the scenario. scenario. Paul would preach the truth in love. He would preach it in gentleness. But before they were saved, they would respond with hate and brutality. I mean, they... If you read on through this and you study through Acts, they run them out of the city eventually, not the ones here in Thessalonica, but other non-believers. And in chapter 2, you'll see two or three, somewhere around there. I can't remember what it was, but they, they, they were, uh, the Thessalonican Christians received um, persecution from their own countrymen, Paul talks about. And Paul is no different from them, but he was genuine. You know, towards the end of the first century, Jude uh, wrote a book in verse 3 of the book bearing his name, he said that we should earnestly contend for the faith. And this is exactly what Paul and the others were doing here in Macedonia. They were contending for the faith, for the faith, but they were not contentious in so doing. They were gentle. And in the outrage culture that we unfortunately find ourselves living in today, we could sure use some gentle Christians, not weak Christians, but meek Christians, not belligerent Christians, but bold Christians. Proverbs 15, 1 says, A soft answer turneth away wrath. A soft answer turneth away wrath, but grievous words stir up anger. You know, all my children have their, have their, their abilities and their, and their ways of handling their parents. I don't know how better way to put that, you know. But my oldest son, he really got a hold of this verse. You know, we could be just angry. And he, yes, mom. 
Yes, Dad. He, he got a hold of that one, you know, a soft answer. And it works. And you're like, wow, he's, I need to calm down. A soft answer turneth away wrath. So as Christians, we are not to stoop to a level of bickering that just serves to stir up anger in others. We are to give a soft answer with meekness and fear that we, we see from 1 Peter or 2 Peter, 2 Peter 3.15. But Paul wrote to them in verse 11 that ye know how we exhorted and comforted and charged every one of you as a father doth his children. So he, he talked about how a mother would handle her children, how a father would hand, for handle his children. And for this to be inspired text, for them to receive these words that Paul's speaking of right here, it speaks volumes on how Paul's entrance to Thessalonica was truly not in vain. They were the real deal. And who knows how far any of them would have progressed if they reduced the gospel and themselves to simply winning an argument. You know, many times as Christians, especially in my youth, you want to go there and you want to share the gospel message. You want to tell them about the things of the Lord. And you're just there to win an argument. You just want to walk away up. I showed him that the Bible was right. And I think maybe more often than not, when we lose that argument, those are when the seeds have been planted. When we walk away with grace instead of pride. These folks here, Paul, Silas and Timothy, were genuine Christians. They were gentle Christians. And look at verse number eight. The Bible says, so being affectionately desirous of you, they were willing to have imparted unto you, not the gospel of God only, but also our own souls, because you were dear unto us. For you remember, brethren, our labor and travail for laboring night and day, because we would not be chargeable unto any of you. We preached unto you the gospel of God. They were genuine, they were gentle, and they were generous. They had a trait of generous Christianity. You know, an American missionary from Portland, Oregon, uh, by the name of Jim Elliott. I know you know what I'm talking about, Brother Shannon. Uh, he was murdered for his faith at 28 years old on the mission field there in Ecuador. If you study it out, he was trying to reach one tribe and he actually dropped some leaflets, some gifts off on an, on an airplane ride over. They received them. He even took up one of the family, a couple of the tribesmen on an airplane ride, tribesmen, and they enjoyed it. And they landed back down. And one of the other tribes that he was witnessing to had a had a, a disagreement. No, nobody liked the tribe he was with. And they sent a message to them and told all kinds of lies about them. And then a second time they approached and they were speared to death. All five men. Five men, most of them, I think four of them had a wife. Jim Elliott had a 10-year-old a daughter. And that morning, they found his body drifting up the river there in Ecuador. And on his person, he had his, still his journal that he wrote every day. And he wrote in his journal that morning, that very morning. He said this, he wrote this. He is no fool who gives up what he cannot keep to gain what he cannot lose. He is no fool who he gives what he cannot keep to gain what he cannot lose. He got it. He got it. And these are also the words of a Christian. So it's not salvation he speaks of. It's those eternal words he's speaking of that come from service to Jesus Christ. Paul, Timothy and Silas embodied this virtue and they gave 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 to the people of Thessalonica. They were generous Christians. You know, generosity has somehow ceased to be an attribute of Christians today. 
It's taken a back seat to curiosity and caution. And granted, giving is more than just about our money, as we will read about here in a moment. But from 1990 to 2015, in the United States, 15 years, charitable giving dropped over 50% in 15 years. Friends, this world needs generous Christians. Our families need generous Christians. This community needs generous Christians. Now, this is not an advertisement for money. God's blessed us. We, we keep on giving and, and, and all those things. It's not about money. But God wants us to be generous Christians. I'm convinced that God still sends his people to be givers to those in need. Still today, I trust that he's even sent some of us to be a blessing to others here in this congregation this morning. And you might ask, if it's not just about money, then what are we to give? Well, I'm, I'm glad you asked that. <laughs> 1 Thessalonians chapter 1, verse 8, or uh, 2 verse 8 again, chapter 2, verse 8 again, same verse. It says, being affectionately desirous of you, we were willing to have imparted unto you not the gospel of God only. So number one, they gave the gospel they gave the gospel. Their beginning began with the gospel of God. You know, 1 Corinthians chapter 15, those first few verses there tells us what the gospel is. It's the good news about the death, burial, and resurrection of the Lord Jesus Christ. Our sin has been paid for. He has become our redeemer. And we should give others that message, that same message that somebody gave you and me. You know, without negating real physical needs, the greatest gift we can give to anybody is the gospel message. It's the greatest gift. It is the only gift that will change their eternal destination. Yes, we can give gifts that will fix a temporary situation. And I'm not saying don't give them. We should give more to fix those temporary situations. But only the gospel can change their permanent situation, their permanent destiny. Be generous. Again, being affectionately desirous of you, we were willing to have imparted unto you not the gospel of God only, so they gave the gospel first, but also our own souls. Give yourself. They gave themselves. Talk about being all in. They wanted to part their own souls. They wanted to give all that they had. I'm sure Paul, Timothy, and Silas could think of something better to do on their own than going throughout village to village in Macedonia, putting their life at risk. I mean, think about it. Let's, let's, let's take a little a mental journey on what else could Paul be doing? I mean, he's Paul of Tarsus. He's, he's a Roman citizen. Maybe he could have, hey, hey, Timothy, or, hey, Timmy and, and Silas, let's go back to Tarsus. There's this wonderful bowling alley there, and I bet I can, I bet I can beat you guys, you know, whatever. Or, or maybe, maybe Paul can say, you know, let's go, on a, let's go on a cruise. I'm a Roman citizen. I can go all throughout the Roman Empire. He could stop at every port on the Macedonian or the, the Mediterranean Sea. He could have done great things. He could have enjoyed many, many other things, but he instead, but instead he was willing to give his own soul to these people. And truth be told, Paul did take some cruises in the Med. <laughs> but they were not the ones you see advertised in the Jerusalem Gazette, I'm sure. At any rate, Paul and the others gave their all for the cause of Christ. And it's not like they gave more because they received more. Right? Their giving wasn't based on the Thessalonians. They gave Period. They gave because God gave. In 2 Corinthians 12, 15, Paul would later write, he says, I will very gladly, very gladly spend and be spent for you. Though the more abundantly I love you, the less I'll be loved. 
Paul was all in, not because they were all in, because he made a choice to follow God regardless of what the other people thought of him. He was generous. Generous. Their, their service to the Macedonians had nothing to do with how they were received, how well they fit in, or how well they were, how much they deserved it. It had nothing to do with that. Their service to them simply was because they loved them, regardless of what they got in return, which really is the definition of love. So they gave the gospel. They gave their self. And then lastly, they gave their time. Again, look at verse 9 of 2 Thessalonians chapter 2. The Bible says, For ye remember, brethren, our labor and travail for laboring night and day, because we would not be chargeable unto any of you. We preached unto you the gospel of God. They gave their time. They labored night and day. Once, I can't think of the last time where we spent you know, 24 hours. Now, I've spent up 24 hours in the military, right, Brother Mike? I mean, many times. But how often would we do that maybe soul winning? I don't know how good you'd be at the end of that 24 hours, but just that, that mindset, I think, is, is important to think about. But Paul and Silas labored night and day for the cause of Christ in Macedonia. Talk about a work ethic. Talk about a work ethic. God gave them a task. They understood that task. They even took ownership of that task. And they gave their all, even burned in the midnight oil. You know, as a leader in the army, many times you can see the differences in a soldier who accomplishes the task and the difference in a soldier who takes ownership of that task. You know the difference, right? You have that subordinate or you're working with somebody or maybe you're even you're even that person. And sometimes you're just going through the motions. You're you're doing the task, but sometimes you take ownership of it. And it's just that much better. They took ownership of this task. Taking ownership makes it our task. And we pour in our passion to that task. And that's what Paul and Silas did here. It comes along with something, uh, that passion that comes along only in something that we are in. Right? We can do things. We can go, Johnny loves cutting the grass. That's not really. Who, who really loves cutting the grass? Other than Brother Tyler, maybe. Uh, or Brother Billy, maybe. Um, so we, you know, we don't really like cutting grass. But, but you know, Johnny gets out there and does it. But you can tell. And you can tell when I'm in it or not in it we got to take ownership of God's commandments if we take ownership of anything. Will we begin to pour our lives into the things of God? Will we take ownership of what God's given us? Will we pour our time into what God's expected of us? You know, when we take ownership of these things, we will pour our time into it. We will spend and be spent doing the things of God, and we will love doing it. You see, Paul and the others were deeply generous of the gospel. They were deeply generous of themselves and their time, and it made a difference. It made a huge difference. And if you remember in the beginning of this, uh, of this message this morning, I mentioned the positive impact this church had throughout all of Macedonia and all of Achaia. How they sounded out the word of, of the gospel. And as we come to a close this morning, I want to remind you also that at one time, this church did not exist. There was no gospel light in Macedonia. There was no gospel light in Achaia. That is until God called three men. God called Paul, Timothy, and Silas to reach the Macedonians with the gospel of Jesus Christ. These three men were genuine. They were gentle. And they were generous. These Christians possessed three nation-changing attributes. And as I come to a complete close this morning, I'll leave you with this last thought. God is still calling Christians. God is still calling Christians to be genuine, gentle, and generous. The question is, are we listening?
and where we go.